Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. Just a quick note before we get started that this episode is part of our Blast from the Past series where we spotlight one of the amazing members of the LA Tech ecosystem from our archive. And if you're a new listener or you're just looking for more great LA Tech content, dig into the back catalog. There are literally hundreds of conversations to choose from. Enjoy the episode. I'm here, I think, because there is this pioneering spirit and I always want to be around pioneers. I need to be here and I want to be part of this community now and dedicated to this community. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. One of my absolute favorite tech companies making business communication as effective as it can be between customer and brand is Intercom. Intercom automatically picks the best leads from your site traffic to boost your top of funnel, increase efficiency, and grow your business. The Intercom Messenger, their new feature, is customizable to match your brand and has a home screen that engages with visitors with interactive content, a newsletter subscription button, lead capture, and more before they even start to chat. Intercom's chatbot also qualifies and routes the best leads to your sales team automatically. So you can keep avoiding the VP of sales or you could use Intercom. Start for free today at Intercom.com. That's Intercom.com. Hi, everyone. My name is Brian Nickerson. I'm guest hosting on We Are LA Tech here with Stephanie Sanborn, CEO and founder of Voyant. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. I'm so thrilled to be here. Excited to have you. Um, So tell us about Voyant. Oh, yes. So Voyant was started two years ago, and it was a culmination of my experience in advertising. And so what Voyant is specifically is a brand activation platform. And uh, perhaps, you know, backing up a little bit what brand activations are. So everybody's very familiar with advertising. Advertising is about 25% of a marketer's budget and 60% is brand activation. So it's everything from brand integration, product integration, e-commerce, uh, cause marketing, and, and influencer marketing. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what I found was there was an opportunity to bring a supply chain and a demand side to brand activations because it doesn't exist today. Mm-hmm. So we've had a lot of fun just uh, moving in a direction that is some white space. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's white space. <laughs> and it also gets very confusing for people. I, you know, how do you, how do you express that there's a white space, but you're not in it today, and therefore yeah. technology can kind of build this bridge between where you are today and the experience that consumers demand um, yeah. for tomorrow? And you've, you've done the advertising thing at a very high level. Yes, yes. Can you share your background a bit? Because yeah. it's, it's pretty awesome and unique. Oh, thanks, Brian. Um, it's certainly a, a space that I love. I should yeah. start with, I've always had a passion for communications and video in particular is kind of my expertise, if you will. So media, television, and my experience has been building out global supply chains for advertising platforms. So mm-hmm. whether it was being the first, it sounds kind of silly, back in 2000, 
bringing an HD advertising platform to the market. It was the first. Um, So imagine you had ESPN and NBCs of the world moving to HD, and we're in the business of communication and uh, brand equity. And you'd be watching this pristine, this game. And then all of a sudden, the advertising, number one, it's interrupting. And then secondarily, the ad is this tiny little leather boxed, uh, you know, Gladiator back in 2000, I remember was a big uh, uh, movie release or an automotive or even, you know, as simple as a beer commercial. But if you're in the business of communication and brand equity and you go from pristine to leather boxed, it's, it's a jarring experience for the consumer. So at a macro level, been using platforms and technology to bring marketers and media together to enhance the viewer experience, or in today we call it the user experience. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and so we, we built that supply chain um, from creative to consumption is what wow. we called it. So 85% of the commercials that you would see on television came through one of our shops. And then we would move it across the world in upwards of 75 different languages. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But then I quickly realized I've been building content platforms for, you know, content that nobody wants to see. Everybody's skipping ads today, right? (laughs) Right. Well, you used to to not be able to. Used to not be able to. Not to say that you used to not want to. Right. (laughs) You just used to, you know, not be able to. And so I think that that's really where the opportunity lies for marketers and media today. Yeah. Make the content so amazing that you want to watch it. Make it so amazing. And then furthermore, what we've found, and you probably know this as well, but 84% of people are searching for something that's video related when they're watching the video. And what's fascinating, not to throw too many statistics, but it just kind of says that there's a big opportunity and also a big missed opportunity Mm -hmm. because the way that you search today is to go to Google search and it's disconnected from your viewing experience. It's also not curated. So if we can bring these experiences back to the video and enable marketers to service people in those moments of their greatest inspiration, that's what we want to do. Yeah, that's That's to me very (laughs) exciting. So um, we talked a little bit before the show about this challenge of like asking for help. Yes. Um, and it sounds you right now you're making some of that sound a little easy with Am your I? advisory board. Um, <laughs> not knowing. I, yeah. I know it's not right. No, but like, no, it's fair. That that process, right? As you're um, as you're kind of uh, letting go of all the support structure that you have in yeah. an executive role in a big company, and now you're sort of out on your own. Like how? W- w- it, did you, was there any times you asked for help that you failed and then you, oh, yeah. And then you, yeah, like, like share some stories about how, how you have tackled and how you've become better at asking for help. Cause it's critical as an entrepreneur, you need help, right? You, you need a lot own. of help. Uh, the first failure I think was just, I was running myself ragged. I was doing uh, everything, <clears throat> everything. So while I assembled this incredible advisory board, it was overwhelming for me to try to keep up with the communication mm-hmm. with them. So I ended up just um, doing everything and not using people wisely. I got incredibly sick like everybody else did with the flu here in L.A. Um, and so I think not use it once I had people assembled, not using them wisely. Yeah. I definitely failed on that. Um, I also failed to tell the people in my life 
what it meant to be an entrepreneur and the fact that I can't show up for as much as I want to, my friends the way that I used to, or I can't jet off to London any longer. I can't, and it sounds like small things, but when people have expectations of you and you can't show up for their birthdays or you can't show up for a death in the family, Mm. uh, some really, really fundamentally difficult no's to be said at the time of need versus preparing people early on. That this is the person that you have known for 15 years and this person won't be able to show up for you the way that you're accustomed to. Uh, having conversations at home with little kids. Mm. And, but you know, where there is scar tissue, there's also strength and opportunity too. So, uh, you know, the disappointment when I'm going to work on weekends is palpable. I mean, yeah. my kids, certainly, I see it in their eyes and their spirit. But then on the flip side, my recent five-year-old came to me and said, I want to start a business and I want to work with you. And mm-hmm. so you think about, I mean, again, not, not trying to put rose-colored glasses on the difficulties and the struggle, but there are those moments and you have to celebrate those moments when they happen. There's a reason. And those are those moments that you say, okay, I know by going down this path, I'm accomplishing what I want. Because I, through transmission, which is you know, kind of a marketer's term, but the education process, the learning that I'm giving you know, uh, in my family today is through transmission. They see right. we're working hard, we're working towards something. And it changes fundamentally the conversation that you have with everybody around you. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, not always fun conversations, but right. yeah, I mean, real. Yeah. Very real. Yeah. So raising capital. Yeah. How how has that been, right? Because as there there are <sighs> challenges that are specific, I'm sure, not only to being a woman, but to being a mother. Yeah. Um, as you're fundraising. Um, is there any anything you can share about that process and things that think like changes that you think need to um, be made? Yeah. Um, so that other entrepreneurs can be even more successful in that process. Yeah, you know, I came at it wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I really did. I underestimated that there's a framework and there is a community that they want you to express precisely, even down to the the presentation you put together. Oh, gosh. You know, <laughs> yes. it's problem, solution, all the way through. And yeah. if you deviate at all, then it's tossed to the side. And so somebody like myself, who my success has been built on going against the grain and finding white space and storytelling. And I, I, I underestimated the power of working within a framework and I overestimated my ability to communicate (laughs) (laughs) why that was a value. Yes. So if I could go back, and, um, you know, revisionist history right now, I, I would say I would, I would follow the framework and don't put obstacles up mm-hmm. unnecessarily because it's hard enough to, in the sea of great ideas, to say why your idea and your ability to execute is the billion-dollar idea versus another. Right. 
And frankly, I don't even know. This is one point that I still will not break. Um, so there's a framework of what, you know, what are you disrupting? And Brian, I cannot answer that question because it fundamentally goes against everything I stand for. I'm not here to disrupt. Mm-hmm. I'm here to enable. I yeah. think technology enables. And, but that's my matching. Is this a chemistry that I can work with? Yes. When somebody says that to me, I just all but fold up my table and leave, Yeah, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. So I think I've gotten in my own way. And I think I could do better. And then ultimately, I should have reached out to more entrepreneurs. And I should have gone to more pitches. Mm-hmm. I recently started going to a crypto incubator. Uh-huh. In listening to them pitch, there's a flow. I should have done all of those things. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I used my old way in a new world. Mm-hmm. And frankly, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So... I'm now a conformist. <laughs> Take I, a bow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm laughing so hard because I'm 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 in the midst of some of this right now where to me some of this actually I think there is something for structure yeah. but there's also some like some of that structure comes in the form of the patriarchal hierarchy that is part of the problem of where we are right now anyhow mm-hmm. that also like I resonate a thousand percent with this notion of like like as an entrepreneur, like I want to create something new. Right. right. So like if there is a better way to tell a story, there should be freedom to do that. I know. And it's almost like if the, if someone is not open to that possibility, they're probably not the right fit as a as an investor, or as a partner or someone to work with um, with me. And that, you know, for me, I resonate with what you're saying because I'm like that actually I, I need to actually have the strength to say no to that stuff because it's actually not a fit. Yeah. you. It's hard to do though, right? When you're facing yeah. the barrel right. of the gun of money <laughs> right. and yeah. on the other side, right? You know, so they can pull the trigger or not pull the trigger. Yeah. And I think it really comes down to your resolve, but I also think it comes down to your need. Yeah. How long have you been after this? You know? And and I think when somebody tells you that you didn't follow their format, so get to the back of the line. You know, at first it's jarring and annoying and I get angry and like everybody else, maybe a little pissed. (laughs) But that becomes that fire in my belly again to get to the front of the line and say, dude, you're going to listen to me this time. Yeah. I'll do it in your format, but you are going to listen to me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I've learned and it's, it's, it's a struggle. The other thing that a lot of people don't know that I think is really important is I started out again where my husband helped me form the company. Again, my idea, my execution, who cares about that? The point was we need support and there's the notion of going from I to we in this entrepreneurial experience. Mm-hmm. He was the first person to stand up and say, brilliant, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm supporting you. We're doing this together. I quickly realized that again, if you start looking at all the obstacles to raising money, a husband, wife, or family relationship does not work. Mm. So as angry as it made me that he could no longer support me and I could no longer have him be part of Voyant, I had to, we had to sit down and make that decision together that it's best that I go at this by myself and have your support at home. Yeah. So just, again, not um, going in thinking that I let go of the chains of corporate America 
and that then I would be chain free <laughs> and the freedom that will come from living the the dream. And it's um it's a it's a struggle. And yeah. I think anybody that says it's not a struggle and that it doesn't um, tap your ego some days and say, hey, you know, monster ego, yeah. don't you want to come out and play? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. all your friends are off doing something really cool. And these companies sound similar to yours in some way and they just got funding. And so they might take off before you. I mean, it's it's a constant challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, embracing that challenge is the, is the, I think the hard part and the, yeah. the and hopefully the reward, right? The reward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So are there, um, I know you said maybe for your company in particular yeah. that like, are there, are there, um, inspirational founders or entrepreneurs or folks who you, um, you know, have looked to, uh, that have kind of given you, um, hope? <laughs> no, that's <laughs> uh, great. Yeah. All of them. Truthfully, Brian, you included, the spirit of an entrepreneur is something so vibrant Mm. that when you meet somebody, you can almost spot them now. I don't know (laughs) if you, you know, and it's not that we all hang out in the same kind of cafe because we don't have a place to go, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but you can spot them. And it's also this genuine interest to ask questions and to engage people. And I'm a New Yorker, so it's not, you know, I can live next to somebody for 10 years and not know their name. So Mm -hmm. I, for me, it's been really fun to put myself in environments where there are other entrepreneurs. And I, you know, nine times out of 10, come out of a conversation super inspired and never entered in with an expectation. Yeah. And that's where I think inspiration comes from is a lack of inspir- the lack of expectation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Allowing the magic. To, that's like, right. Come in, allowing the surprise. That's exactly it. Yeah. And, I, and I think as people today were conditioned to be seeking out um, the experience that we anticipate or expect. Mm. And I think the one, again, the meeting an entrepreneur and being inspired is that magical connection that comes through conversation mm-hmm. and not, you know, one way diatribe of <laughs> right. this is what I'm doing and this is my need and handshaking and how can you help me? Right. It's much more an engagement and a conversation. Um, so yeah, those, that's, I'm constantly inspired. <laughs> There's not one entrepreneur. Um, yeah. I'm inspired by people that aren't entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's, let's face it. There are a lot of wonderful people that are doing solving big problems at big companies still mm-hmm. that they think have the spirit that we were just talking about yeah. the entrepreneurial spirit, but still kind of locked in that big corporate cage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> flying free and wide in that corporate. Right. Cage, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well yeah. funded. Sometimes and you want to be like, come out, come out. Yeah. Come, come play out. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you're native to New York. What brought you to to LA? Yeah. Um, well, I'm native to Portland, Maine, funny enough. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I grew up in Portland, Maine and went to school in Rhode Island in London. Always had a dream of making it to New York. I was nine years old when I went first. <laughs> Broke my father's heart, I like to say. <laughs> and so I went from Maine, did schooling, university, and landed in New York, um, which is kind of a, a funny story how I got there, but we'll skip that one for now. And was there for, that's kind of my chosen home. Mm -hmm. And I was 
bi-coastal for 12 years. So I was flying. Yes, I had a home in New York and a place here in Los Angeles. And it's because I worked in entertainment and media and advertising. So I had to go back and forth. And that was a that was a lifestyle that I got very accustomed to. Finally, while I was at Deluxe Entertainment, I had to choose a city. And <laughs> Deluxe is Hollywood based. And so the center of gravity was here. And I chose here and haven't looked back. I miss New York. I get back occasionally. But LA is very pioneering in the energy mm-hmm. that you have today. There's new industry popping up. And I think for me, it's, um, it's not necessarily about the life. So I'm not a surfer. I wish I was. It's, you can come, come learn. We'll, we'll help you. You'll help me? <laughs> yeah. You don't know what you just signed up for. <laughs> yes, yes. Again, I grew up in Maine. So water is one of these things that you're on a boat. You don't jump in. It's, it's, it's cold. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I'm here, I think, because there is this pioneering spirit. Mm-hmm. And I always want to be around pioneers. Yeah. I truly do. Uh, So when New York, I still love and I love the vibrancy Mm -hmm. and uh, the sense of urgency. But for now, I need to be here and I want to be part of this community now and dedicated to this community. So that's um, you can't be part of a community and being flying over the country every week. Yeah, so it's hard. It is hard. It is hard, but always doable. Anything's doable. But for me now, Los Angeles offers uh, a wonderful package of people, community, and uh, a, as I stated, a, a pioneering spirit that I think is necessary for feeding the entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, love it. As a native Angelino, that uh, makes my heart sing. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> Um, so Stephanie, can you, are you able to talk about some of the, um, LDF foundation, uh, work that, that you're exploring? Sure. So I've engaged with Leonardo DiCaprio foundation and part because the work that they're doing is pretty remarkable about not only how they are deploying funds to protect animals, ocean and land, They are really engaged in building awareness around the fact, which is what I learned, that only 3% of global philanthropy goes to the environment. And just in comparison for religion and philanthropy, that's 30%. So you have 3% to the planet, Mm. 30% to the temple of religion. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to look at where is there opportunity in white space? There is fundamentally a wonderful opportunity to engage community. So we like to say content, community, and commerce. Mm-hmm. How do we bring the private sector in and have everybody give a framework and a opportunity for brands, marketers, and media to get involved in a, a really important pledge to the planet? And we started looking at models that may have worked back in the day. So you look at RED, Project RED that Bono launched. Mm -hmm. And that was 12 years ago, which is kind of remarkable. And they did a wonderful job. But we have this incredible opportunity with technology and media today and the ability to build global communities through these platforms 
And so that's where we're focused today is how do we engage the private sector to significantly lift from 3%, um, maybe a 10x, just to put a stake in the ground. Mm. How do we build to a 10x global philanthropy for our planet? Yeah. And that makes me wake up every morning so excited. And, you know, in my marketing world, we would call that cause marketing or corporate social responsibility. It's fundamentally just gorgeous storytelling and enabling communities around the world to plug into something that can uh, make this world work again. And that makes me feel pretty uh, rejuvenated. <laughs> rejuvenated. Yeah. You know, because everything we've been talking about, how exhausting it is and, you know, your power source. What's, your, right. what's the power source to keep you running? And to know that I'm working with wonderful people, a great cause, and hopefully delivering an opportunity soon for the world to plug in, mm. that, that's wonderful. That, that, that's something that I can certainly, um, I hope to build a, a new format or a new uh, framework that can go to, it doesn't always have to be the planet, right? There are a mm -hmm. lot of causes today that are worthy of attention. And so I'm hopeful that we prove this new model and then it can be applied and replicated across other cause marketing initiatives. Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm having cool. fun. Yeah. Um, so as we kind of close out, um, if you had an ask of the LA entrepreneurial community, what, uh, what would that be? How can we support you? More of this. More mm. of this. There, it's, it's really nice to have, um, there are a lot of events that you can go to and it's really, uh, it's a challenge to kind of make your way around these events. And I think smaller, intimate mm -hmm. gatherings. And then the other thing that I've enjoyed in some other, I, I started going to the Nantucket Project and they have something called Conversations, which is effectively what this is. Um, and so at the end of all the conversations, there's an opportunity to make an ask. And so I would say, keep doing more of this. Uh -huh. And perhaps even bring some small gatherings together, which I think you're doing as well, um, with people working towards a goal, mm -hmm. not just introductions. Um, so that, that helps me as uh, having goals and a way of checking in. Amazing. Esprit, uh, I know you're <laughs> listening somewhere and Esprit is smiling <laughs> as she hears this because she, this that's is this, phenomenal. Yeah, that's exactly how, how and why she started this. Uh, and why she puts it on. She saw a need. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and there is a, a very sincere need for a lot more of this. Yeah. Well, with that, Stephanie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank uh, for you, being Brian. I have been a fangirl of Intercom since they were a startup. Intercom makes me feel like I'm not just a site visitor, but I'm a relationship that that company I'm engaging with cares about. One of my favorite companies that uses Intercom is Moonclerk. So I wanted to reach out to the founder, Dodd, of Moonclerk and ask him, why did they choose Intercom? Hi, I am Dodd Caldwell, one of the co-founders of Moonclerk, which is a recurring payment system built for small businesses. A big part of what we do is providing a great customer experience and a really personalized experience. Going to Intercom allowed us uh, to better personalize 
our communications with our customers, which are small businesses, uh, and I think they appreciate that. So uh, what we do at Moonquark uh, that uh, probably a lot of businesses don't do is we like to send a personalized email to every single person who even signs up for a free trial. And Intercom really helps us with that. And we're actually able to scale that uh, using Intercom. Even from that simple aspect of a welcome email, um, we've really been able to uh, increase uh, conversion rates for people who sign up to people who become uh, paid customers. So it's a great, uh, a great system for us to be able to provide more customized and personalized uh, communications with them without having to add, you know, a lot of extra overhead on our part. It's actually reduced that for us. Intercom is simply the most effective way to build the most meaningful relationship with your customers visiting your website. Start for free today at intercom.com. That's intercom.com. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.